0: Welcome to the KFAX Ministry of the Week. Each week we highlight a local ministry
1: that is impacting the community in Jesus' name. Our hope is to connect you to a ministry in which you can grow and serve in Christ's kingdom. And now your host for the Ministry of the Week, Craig Roberts.
2: On today's edition of the program, we've got a very special guest in studio. He's kind of a boomerang, a boomerang in the sense that he began life in the San Francisco Bay Area. Wound up in the center of the country. Eventually, ministered for quite a number of years on the East Coast, and has now bounced all the way back to the San Francisco Bay Area. He is Pastor Herman Hamilton, founder and senior pastor at New Beginnings Community Church of Mountain View. And Pastor Hamilton, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you. It's a real honor to be here. Thank you for the
2: privilege of being here with you. Now you got to tell us a bit of the story that you're sort of the boomerang kid. Yeah, <laughs> we'll I, I've never you. thought
1: about it that way, but that's a that's a wonderful way of describing it. you. Uh, You were
2: born here in the San Francisco Bay Area.
1: Yes, I was. I was. I was. I was born. uh, I was the fourth of four kids. uh, Born um, uh, early '60s. Uh, Kind of shocking to say that, but that's actually when I came around. And um, when I uh, was about six months of age, I broke out with infertile rash in my uh, head, and uh, so did my sister uh, next to me, and. The doctor gave us the right medicine, uh, diagnosed it correctly, and uh, she got better, I got worse. And uh, went back, he figured, just doubled the dosage. And my uh, mom, uh, all she knew was that her six-month-old baby boy was just gouging his scalp. So she covered my head with bandages one day. She unwrapped it to discover that I had been allergic to the medicine that had actually mm-hmm. helped to heal my sister. And so it literally cooked my scalp, um, and she just unwrapped layers of skin. And they rushed me to San Francisco General. Uh, while they were frantically working on my head, uh, they spilled stuff in both eyes, damaging both of my eyes. And my heart stopped beating, so I'm told, because of the trauma. But, uh, you know, I had a praying grandmother in the hall. And um, long before I knew who Jesus was and is, he knew what he wanted to do with me. And so he spoke, and the doctors did what they do, and I'm here to talk about it all these many years later.
2: So not only the boomerang kid,
1: but a miracle baby. at absolutely, that. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. And I stayed in the hospital for a year, literally in that day and time, uh, because they had to perform skin grafts to kind of reconstruct my scalp, And um, and I was growing, so I had to do it in stages. So I literally stayed in the hospital for one year. When I got out, my parents had divorced, my dad had... Disowned me, and my mom had taken deathly ill. Uh, no one wanted to keep me because I was still pretty sickly. And my grand aunt, who lived in Louisiana, because she had a, Louisiana, a little small town, North of Louisiana, said, "If you can get him to me, I'll keep him." Wow. And uh, my grandaunt aunt is a fascinating story. She had uh, been praying to have children for years, and ultimately told she couldn't. And she had helped to raise my mother through some very traumatic teenage years. And so my grand-aunt was just being generous. And uh, so they got me to Cachette, Louisiana, and I stayed there a few years till my mom could get back on her feet. When she came back, uh, she made the courageous decision to leave me with my grand-aunt and let her—and my grand-aunt was married to a Baptist minister and to let the two of them raise me as their own child.
2: uh, You spent your formative years growing up in a part of the country that— We're still feeling a lot of the strife, uh, not only at the height of the civil rights movement, Mm -hmm. but to a degree there's kind of a a bad reputation, so to speak, in that part of Louisiana. You're about an hour outside of Shreveport. Absolutely. That particular town that you grew up in um, had a reputation. Absolutely. uh, Particularly in relationship to some uh, violence and unrest that was post Civil War that Mm -hmm. continued in. What was it like growing up in that kind of an environment, contrasting that to the difference that we see in the San Francisco Bay Area?
1: Absolutely. Well, you know, my class, my uh, first grade class, which was 1970, we were the first integrated class in the history of Cushada and Red River Paris. Huge amount of drama uh, around that. And uh, the great success story is that when I graduated in 1982, that class made it all the way through. Uh, Needless to say, everything was looked at through the lens of race. Uh, Early on in my first, I don't know, until maybe the sixth, seventh grade, we used to have to do everything. uh, We had a black homecoming queen, we had a white homecoming queen. We had, it was a black and white version of everything, uh, as people were trying to make the transition. So it had its challenges, its complexities, but what I really like to always share is that I started off in special education, partly because um, I was uh, had some learning deficiencies in math, uh, although I started first grade reading on a fifth grade level, uh, but mainly because as a scarred kid I was acting out horrendously. And one of the ways that they dealt with you back then was you'd more likely end up in special education if you were a kid of color who was acting out tremendously in class. And I had an African-American teacher for two years who recognized that I was uh, gifted uh, and um, let me help her teach the class, Mm. reading and stuff. Third grade, I had a white teacher, Ms. Gahagan, who recognized that I was gifted, that I was in the wrong place. She went to bat for me and fought for me and got me out of, into a mainstreaming process. And uh, that has always helped to kind of define my understanding of race. Started really early uh, of uh, just understanding that you just can't label people because of uh, the color of their skin or the history that you're familiar with. And uh, that set me on an amazing course all the way through eighth grade. I was in some form or another mainstreaming. Uh, And then I met the Lord personally in the eighth grade and really changed
2: my life. Looking back, does it surprise you that the kid from Cushata, Louisiana, that was not of your own will, attending special ed classes later on in adult life, becomes an adjunct professor at at, at um, uh, Harvard University yeah. and Gordon Cromwell. I mean, amen, <laughs> amen. Talk
1: about God's grace. It shows that God can do anything with anybody. <laughs> but it is, it is surprising, and it is awesome, and it is all the glory goes to God. And an enormous amount of credit goes to my grand aunt and grand uncle, who poured the best years of the second half of their lives into trying to raise me. And they had a really tough time. I mean, all the way up through the eighth grade, I always said that um, uh, I got into as much trouble as I could find. And when I ran out of trouble, I created trouble. <laughs> and uh, and so they they struggled through those tough years with me, praying and and uh, feeding me God's Word and challenging me and loving me and
2: disciplining me. And uh, God used all of that to uh, really turn my life into a miracle. Does that also give you perspective in terms of ministry? And and I ask that question. I I think of the story of Franklin Graham, for example, son of Billy Graham. Here's this internationally known evangelist, Bible teacher, well-respected on every continent, and yet Franklin Graham was nothing but a leather-wearing, motorcycle-riding, cigarette-smoking, booze-drinking troublemaker Yeah, for so many of his early formative years. No doubt a sense of rebellion against Dad, and then you fast-forward 40-something years, and now he's running the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association.
1: Absolutely. Well, it is a reminder that, you know, That's why I just believe so much in Jesus. At the end of the day, uh, the heart of the gospel is that because of what Jesus has done on Calvary's Cross, shedding and pouring out of his life uh, to give us a reprieve to pay the price for all the things that fill our lives with shame and guilt, uh, he pays the price of that. And then he says to you, says to me, uh, if you will trust me and give me what's left of your life. I'll take your misery and turn it into a miracle. Mm. Uh, that's my story. That's my story. And uh, that's really at the heart of my passion. It's the heart of what we do at the church. We are trying to reach people who feel far from God with that extraordinary message that Jesus literally can change. I mean, Jesus changed. When I say change my life, I'm not just talking about in an in a interior, spiritual way, uh, which absolutely was the case. But uh, in every... Way that I can think of, uh, um, spiritually and uh, economically and academically and just socially, Um, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Jesus.
2: If you've just joined our conversation today in studio is the founding pastor of New Beginnings Community Church. Pastor Herman Hamilton is with us today. By the way, I'll mention service time Sundays at 8 a.m., 10 a.m., and for those of you that are late sleepers, 12 noon. The church meets at 1425 Springer Road in Mountain View, and you can get complete details on the web at nbccbayarea.com. That's nbccbayarea.com, or if you prefer the old-fashioned way, you can reach them at area code 650-690-2790. Let's talk a bit about community impact. Reaching the unchurched, discipling, building families, transforming communities. Now, you had some... Pretty decent success with this. We mentioned you're kind of the boomerang kid, having come from the Bay Area, gone elsewhere, and then come back. You spent 17 years senior pastor at Roxbury Presbyterian Church in Boston. There, I understand, you were very influential in helping create a partnership, really, with uh, local schools and leaving that mark of, of impacting the community for the better. Tell us a bit about that.
1: Well... Uh, Roxbury Presbyterian Church is a remarkable church in the heart of Boston, a tough community called Roxbury. And about a year and a half in, I was uh, in my the pastor's mans, the house where they house the pastors, about a block and a half down from the church. And uh, I heard a shooting uh, on my street, and I came out, and a young man had been shot and killed literally between where I lived and where the church mm. is. And uh, my son, who at the time was about three or four years old, had just come in out of the York. I was so traumatized by not only the shooting, but by the symbolism of the location of the shooting, between where the pastor lived and the church. And I thought it just represented for me so much the, um, in some ways, the powerlessness of the church to impact, Hard everyday issues, and so we got busy as a result of that and started working with a wide range of Christian leaders across the city, and not only Christian leaders, Jewish leaders, and by the time it was all over, some Muslim leaders became a part of it as well. And we, we, uh, we, we, um, and in Boston, it was a big deal just to get Protestants and Catholics oh, again. Oh, indeed. <laughs> <All> right, so, <laughs> then you throw in the race thing, then throw in the geography thing. So this is a pretty huge miracle, but. What we, what we decided to do was we were going to agree to disagree, uh, and all that stuff we disagreed on, just put that to the side. Uh, we're not going to debate that, litigate that. We're not trying to do that. But let's begin to work together on some grassroots issues that we could drive some real change. And out of that came uh, some substantive work on uh, helping to pass uh, health care uh, in Massachusetts, which became the template for the Affordability Act now for its strengths and its weaknesses, uh, I saw 550,000 people overnight go from no health care to health care in Massachusetts. It made a huge difference. Uh, Save lives, literally. Uh, out of that, we partnered with a, w- a number of churches and adopted a school that was about to close called the Dearborn Middle School, literally. And we convinced the superintendent not to close it but to give us two years to t- help turn that school around. And we put together a strategy, and in two years it became uh, – it was uh, designated as the first STEM, uh, science, technology, engineering, and math school uh, in the Roxbury community. It's, it's not just in Roxbury but actually in the state. Uh, it, the building for that school, which is – I think it's an $80 million building now – uh, is being constructed as we speak, uh, and uh, it's making a tremendous difference, uh, the curriculum that they're, in, that they're engaged in. Those are just several examples of how we work together against violence. Uh, I, I got with a group of pastors. We got out of our churches, and at 9, 10, 11 o'clock at night, we started walking the street, talking to these young men on the street. Um, so, yeah, I, I really do believe that faith has to get out of the pews Uh, And people have to see Christians with no strings attached
2: out there demonstrating love in concrete ways. I'm struck how that story comes full circle back to your own personal story. Uh, You spoke highly of your great aunt and uncle, the impact that they had on your life, the sense of leading by example. Uh, that in the, the, the microcosm in your own life, but then you fast forward many years, here you are pastoring in the inner city, and that's still lead by example, the yes. church setting the example yes. uh, to impact the community. Do we need to see more of that? And I ask that question because the church at one time, Pastor Hamilton, set the example for everything, arts, education, yes. theater, entertainment. Yes. Yes. And now all of a sudden we've either decided to Take a back seat, completely withdraw in some cases, or in others, sadly, mimic the world. Correct. Working under what I believe is the the, the false dichotomy that somehow if we just become more friendlier, look more like the world, we'll be less threatening, and therefore more, more folks will show up to church on Sunday. Good point.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think mo- most people, many people, either don't know or have forgotten that a lot of our greatest art pieces uh, came out of the church. Uh, they've forgotten that universities like Harvard was founded by Christians. They don't think about the fact that San Francisco is named after uh, a follower of Jesus, mm-hmm. St. Francis. They don't think about the fact that Sacramento, the capital of this state, uh comes from the words uh, sacrament, sacramental, and uh, established by followers of Jesus. Uh, They don't think about the fact that the whole hospital, the ideal of hospital and hospice came from followers of Jesus. They don't think about the fact that even when you read the Gospels, you see the dramatic difference that the church made for women and for uh, minorities in that context right there in the Gospels particularly Luke, for example, uh, how the church has literally drove dramatic change across all these different disciplines in the world. Uh, the church has been a great voice for justice in the world. So, uh, and p- so they don't think about it or they don't know it, and then lastly, they don't see it enough. You know, I have to say enough because there are a number of churches uh, all across the country and world who are out there and organizations, Christian organizations, were who who are really trying to make a difference. But it's not enough. And um, I th- so I agree with you. I think if we uh, would get out of our pews uh, and get into the world, um, not to become a part of the world, use that language, but to be a light in the world.
2: Is, is it a, a fault of a lack of maybe several things? Proper discipleship—that mm-hmm. sometimes we think salvation is a matter of just like signing up for a club. You raise your hand, and you say yes, I do. You're in. That's the end of the story. We give you your membership card, pay your dues, or in this case, tithe every week, and <laughs> and you're done. A lack of discipleship, maybe sometimes a lack of bold, biblically based preaching in the pulpit. Sure, and and a church that's that's emaciated. And I say that because I think of Christ who showed passion. Think of the picture of Jesus and the woman at the well. Think about his concern just to feed people who came to hear him speak. But he was also bold enough to go into the temple and say, you shall not defile my father's house. And he kicked out the money changers. So we see several dynamics, several dimensions of the character of Jesus Christ in all cases showing compassion and love and speaking truth in boldness. And yet Sometimes we don't see a church that acts that way. We see a church that instead of taking the lead is cowering in the back or buys into the notion that, well, separation of church and state, we don't want to offend anybody because they might not think as we do or believe as we do, and therefore we're just going to take a back seat.
1: Yeah, and because either of those extremes are easier. What, the stuff you and I are talking about trying to be a church of grace and truth, that's extremely difficult it's messy. It's work. It's work. It's messy. Uh, it's not an exact science. Um, and, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's challenging, but it's worth it at the end of the day. And and we don't profess to have it all right. Right. And, uh, I think part of what's unique about NBCC is, you know, we try to create space for people to disagree with us. I mean, uh, we've taken on all the tough issues, right? Uh, about a year ago, I preached a whole message on same-sex relationships and uh, the biblical view of, of marriage and relationships. And yet, we said to people, uh, "You may disagree with us. Uh, don't run from. We want to create space for you to be here, because we're going to love on you and and uh, and, um, and and." hopefully give you time to see and experience the power of Jesus Christ.
2: And an encounter with him will change minds. I mean, Ah, just ask Saul.
1: Absolutely. (laughs) Uh, We've took up the issue of race, uh, which is a very challenging issue because we have a very um, uh, multi-ethnic congregation. So in July, when the police, uh, the the issues of racial violence and police shooting was at its hottest point until recently, uh, we stepped in the middle of that. And, um, and uh, launched a series called Be Champions of Hope And really took seriously uh, What do we actually as followers of Jesus What are we called to do inside of this I, This past Sunday I just preached a message On um, radical politics Here we are in the most divisive uh, uh, Political era in America's history So what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Now uh, how do we be light and salt in the world? And, uh, and took some time to really kind of lay that out, regardless of your party or your, or your political perspective. I'll just give you one practical example, of at least how we try to do it at NBCC. For example, when we took on the question of race, uh, out of the uh, message where I talked about the solution being getting to know each other, we launched an effort called Connect Four. And essentially what we challenged our people to do was look, here's four different ways that you need to connect with someone who doesn't look like you and have a conversation. Uh, You can do it in your family. You can do it in your small group here at the church. You can do it one-on-one, or you can do it in what we call Connect Four Groups, which we structured across diversity. That's number one. Secondly, I preached a series on it, so I had to teach people how to do it. So you can't just say, go do it. How do I have these conversations? Uh, And I got an email from uh, one of our white uh, members uh, who loves me and loves NBCC, but radically disagreed the first message that I preached on this series. I said, so he he sent me a, a private email. I thanked him for it. And I said, listen, why don't you and I have an have a conversation about this? And I'm going to videotape it. And I'm going to use it to teach the entire congregation how to have these kind of conversations, these tough conversations. Mm-hmm. To his courageous credit, he Agreed. And we did that. So we taught it, and then we challenged people to do it uh, and help people to understand uh, we got to where we are around race or whatever the issue you want to name one relationship at a time, one bad relationship, one bad mm-hmm. conversation at a time. We'll get out of it one good conversation, one good relationship.
2: And it's interesting how, as our time winds up, it brings us full circle to where we began speaking over an hour ago, and that is it is modeling discipleship. Absolutely. It, it's pouring your knowledge, your awareness, your relationship with Jesus mm-hmm. and with God into the life of a new young believer mm-hmm. to help them, as, as Paul would say, follow me as I follow Christ, to understand what it means to not only know Christ. But to follow him, be that mirror that we talked about right. earlier, right. that more adequately reflects to the world the real character of God. If, if, right. if people say God's a bad guy and the only picture that they have of God is you and me, That's right. uh, that indictment is not on God. It's that on indictment's us. on us. Right. It calls upon us to say, I need to examine my life, my walk, my relationships, my thinking, my speaking – to see if it's in order with the character of God that we see demonstrated in Scripture, or is it not? Exactly and if not, right. why not?
1: That's exactly right. And uh, lifestyles of faith requires a willingness to risk. Right? It's, it's a willingness to expose yourself. It's a willingness to be hurt in the name of following Jesus. The people who are having these hundreds of conversations around race uh, recently at NBCC,
2: they, they said, you know, we might get hurt doing this. Mm-hmm. But it's worth it. And I think of the image of Christ hanging on the cross. Yes. There you go. That's the... Who took on all the rest. Yes. Yes. Who willingly said, I will be hurt. That's right. I will take on the pain of the sin of the world. Yes. I will become sin. Yes. That through my shed blood, we might see reconciliation yes. between the creator and the creation. That's right. That's right. And so there is something to be said of risk that was modeled by very Jesus yes. himself. And so then that leaves us with the question, while God doesn't call upon us per se to risk as he did at the level he did, because none of us can do that, mm-hmm. and yet he says, I am the model for risk and vulnerability. Yes. But in through that risk and being vulnerable, we can see God do great things as we more adequately reflect the character of God, the passion of God, the the unlimited mercy of God who so loved the world, but while we were yet sinners, he would send his son to die on our behalf. Some powerful thoughts, you say, Hey, I want more. Guess what? Go to church on Sunday. <laughs> 8 a.m., 10 a.m., 12 noon, New Beginnings Community Church. They meet at 1425 Springer Road in Mountain View. You can get complete details on the web at nbccbayarea.com. That's nbccbayarea.com. Pastor Hamilton, thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the KFAX Ministry of the Week. More information
1: about this week's highlighted ministry is available at kfax.com. Also, please tune in this Sunday at 12 noon for a message from this ministry. And tune in at this time next week for another edition of the KFAX Ministry of the Week. Until
0: next time, God bless